Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. So I have a pop quiz for you all. <laughs> um, for those of you who grew up in the church or grew up reading the Bible or who have continued to read the Bible in adulthood, um, I have a question for you. Where is water mentioned in the Bible? Where is water mentioned in the Bible? I'm going to give you like a couple minutes to just like put as many spots in the Bible as you can think of Old Testament, New Testament, like just put them in there. For those of you who are new to Christianity or new to worship, welcome. Congratulations. You get like a community sourced like compendium that that shows all of the all the places where water is in the Bible, so that if you want to read up on water in the Bible, you can uh, just you have a, a list that's made here for you. So let's uh, go ahead. I want to hear from you all. Uh, where is water mentioned in the Bible? Okay, sassy pants. Lol, it's everywhere. It does not count as. <laughs> As a, as a citation, I couldn't in my seminary work. I couldn't say "lol, it's everywhere" <laughs> for my essays. Um, Parting of the Red Sea, John ba- the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Revelation, Gospels, Old Testament. Yeah, Genesis one and two when God moved across the waters. Yep, in the Garden of Eden, creation. Um, uh, Jesus walking on the water. We're looking for some specifics here. Jesus walking on the water. Yeah, yeah. The flood, coming of the storm. Noah's ark. Yeah, when there's a flood, and then and then God delivers all the all the creatures. Uh huh. Um, Psalm one and Jonathan said, "Okay, I see the citation. Psalm one and Jeremiah seventeen both talk about a tree planted by the water. Revelation also has that. Hagar. Yes." The well that Hagar was at, yes. The Samaritan woman at the well, yes. Jesus turning water into wine. That's an interesting exception to all of this because I don't know what to... <laughs> Why wouldn't Jesus want water? Okay, that's a whole other thing. Fishers of men parable, the women, living water, Genesis and Revelation, beginning and the end, River Jordan, throw your nets on the other side. Wow, I am so impressed with how well you all are doing water from the rock with Moses. Bless the Lord. Yeah, 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 keep going. I like that we're getting into deep cuts now, you know, like, <laughs> we're looking, we're looking deep. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, like uh, many of you have observed, water is everywhere in the Bible. Uh, water is what makes glad the city of God. Water is what uh, was present in the beginning of creation, water was there as part of uh, Jesus's ministry. Waters was in Babylon. Waters was uh, what allowed for the way for Moses's liberation and the crushing of the empirical power of the Pharaoh. Uh, waters was part of this sacred baptism ritual, this cleansing ritual that brought people into community. Um, Waters was there when John the Baptist was like, okay, everyone needs to pay attention to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and not me. (laughs) Waters was there in the storm that Jesus calmed. Yeah, yeah. Waters like continues to be throughout the the Bible. And it's just interesting to me how like 
we tend to, I don't know, in like American biblical discourse, I see a lot of attention being put onto what? Um, homosexuality, which has like 10, maybe 12, maybe citations in the Bible, right? Like uh, we tend to put uh, an emphasis on um, uh, how the community and the church should gather. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the Ethiopian eunuch's baptism is a great example of, of people being brought in. Uh, we tend to be focusing on, on ethics and purity. And it's like, yeah, if we really want to take a biblical look, maybe we should be paying attention a little bit more to water. Because anywhere I open my Bible to, their water is ready to witness to the greatness of God. Water was there ready to obey the will of God while humanity was like, no, I have my own way to do it. Like water is like, nah, this is how we are going to flourish as a world. Like, listen, uh, water was there to create the foundations of life. Uh, water is there as storms to, to remind us of our humility. Um, yeah, we, we remember that Jesus's miracles through and through the blind man, uh, rinsing eyes in water, all of these like are again and again, prophetic witnesses that God's grace is so common that it is like water. And in fact, if we really take a deep ecological read of the Bible, God's grace is in water. Like it's not metaphorical. It's like God's grace is literally present in the water. Perhaps this is why so many worship songs and so many like praise songs use water imagery. Oh my gosh. Uh, we could spend a whole nother hour just crowdsourcing like worship songs that use oceans, storms, rainfall, steam, vapor, like all of these water images are there because somehow fundamentally in the very depth of our humanity, we have a connection to water as necessary. If there's like this biological orientation to know that God's grace moves through water. And I know that for me personally, like I was reflecting as I was uh, preparing for this sermon, like a lot of the reason why I'm Christian have to do with instances that have to do with water. Uh, certainly when I see baptism happening uh, at New City, when we baptized a little baby, oh, it was so cute, Ezra, uh, and who's like now entering school. And, uh, and when we baptize adults who are making these decisions, it's like this water is God's grace moving in the world. And when I've come across, I'm a big fan of waterfalls. I don't know if any of you have any favorite waterfalls. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm so swept away by the crashing power of this waterfall. And I'm looking at these stones at the, at the base of the waterfall that are just kicking up all this mist. And these stones, which are so often seen as a symbol of permanence, are clearly being softened and chipped away by these waterfalls. And I'm like, that is the kind of grace that I want to connect to. Um, looking out, at, uh, sitting on a porch and looking out at a storm. Uh, uh, these are moments that converted me. And I realized that God continues to work through my life through the witness of water. And I know that some of you aren't so um, outdoorsy. There's definitely a contingency of New City folks who are like, I don't 
really like bugs. <laughs> so like you don't see yourself as going out to waterfalls all that often. But I also know that a lot of those folks are also the folks who are like, have you ever tried sitting in a shower and just enjoying that? Uh, that's so nice. Yeah, okay, so like maybe that's not like a naturally occurring waterfall, but like that water that is coming out of the shower is the same water <laughs> that is coming from the clouds that is in in the rivers that are converting us like we are in, we're encountering water every day in ways that completely changes our lives every day we're looking to water as as kind of this sacred reminder that god is continuing to sustain life in us and so the question then is, what does this particular story in 2 Kings teach us about water? And I'll give away the spoiler up front, and then we'll kind of talk about this story. The, the spoiler is that God's grace, um, the grace of God is so um, hidden from our perspective, not because it is rare, but because it is everywhere. God's grace is hidden from us, not because it is rare, but it is everywhere. Similar as, as to our attitudes towards water, right? Like water is such a pervasive part of our lives. We would notice if we went like more than three days without water, right? Like that would be like an emergency level condition. Um, and yet, because it is so pervasive, because it is so present, uh, sometimes we stop being able to perceive it or, or really engage with it. Because we can turn on a faucet, we kind of stop being able to really cherish water for what it offers us. And that's how God's grace is in the world. It's not that... Um, you know, you can only encounter grace at church or that you can only encounter grace if you say like a very particular prayer with very particular words. It's rather that God's grace is so everywhere, the waters that we're swimming in, it's so like abundantly everywhere that like sometimes we miss it. And the reason why we have church and prayers is because as a community, it's easier for us to notice that grace when we when we come together and practice these spiritual practices. Do you see what I'm saying? Like sometimes it's something that is so pervasively part of your life, it's it's hard to even see that it's in front of you. God's grace is hidden from us, not because it is rare, but because it is everywhere. And our task, especially in this sermon series, is to find God in everything. I believe that's the take-home message of this story, especially the first part of this story. Um, so I, I'll, I'll also preface that I have um, looked up many ways to pronounce the name of the person who is featured in this story, not El Elisha, not Elijah, by the way. Elijah is one person, and then their successor is Elisha with SH. So this story has Elisha, and I, so my understanding of Hebrew is that this person's name should be pronounced Naaman, but I've also heard Naaman, Naaman, and like lots of other, so I'm just going to go with Naaman, <laughs> because the, a lot of the internet said that, but um, 
just know that that's that's a, a dynamic there. Okay, so what's the story? So Naaman is this like military person who has had a lot of success. He's like a pretty like uh, highly regarded person in society who uh, has people working for him, servants working for him. Um, he's in, he has a certain social location that allows him to um, be in charge of a lot of stuff. And Naaman has a skin condition. Sometimes it's uh, translated as leprosy, but really what that's referring to is like some type of uh, like skin condition that isn't like easily remedied. Like it's persistent. It's chronic. And so Naaman, even though he has, and this is where intersectionality comes into the Bible, like he has certain social stature. However, he also intersects with uh, um, a condition in his body that allows him to, or that, that somehow um, marginalizes him or deprivileges him. So like both of those are experienced at the same time, similar to, by the way, how every body uh, has some marginalized identities and some uh, 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 privileged identities, and we need to be able to grapple with both of those. So Naaman um, has this condition, and you know he's trying everything to, to get better. And who is it that brings the good news, who is it that brings the right advice, but a servant girl who doesn't even get a name, but the servant girl is like, you know what, I heard of a guy who, who, has, who might be able to help with this. I heard of a prophet. A prophet is a person who like witnesses to God's truth, especially in a corrupt society. I heard of a prophet that God moves through and, and some really amazing things happen. Uh, through this prophet. Maybe you should check that out. Uh, and so, similar to so many of the ways that God's grace moves through the world, it is through the the poor, through uh, 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 gender minorities, <laughs> that, that, the God, that the truth of God comes in. Naaman's like, oh, dang, you're right, servant girl, like child, this is, or like young person. Um, and so, first of all, I just want to, like, name that that is a very, like, cool detail that, that that's there. So, uh, Naaman, like, uh, it goes to fetch Elisha. There's some, like, international intrigue that I'm not going to get into, but for a second, people thought that it was, like, a veiled, um, uh, introduction of war because it was, like, wait, so you want to send a person to, to treat a condition that can't be treated? That feels like you're setting us up for failure, and we're going to go to war. We're not going to get. We're not going to focus too much on that. But I do think I bring that up simply to say that, like, bigger picture, systemic, international conflict, like all that stuff, is present in people's bodies, right? Like the personal is the political, and Naaman is an example of that. So, um, so like, following only because of this servant girl. Um, uh, Naaman checks out Alicia and is like, hey, so what should I do? And Alicia is like, or Elisha, um, is like, um, okay, so here's, here's the plan. Uh, uh, you're going to dip seven times into the Jordan River. Seven times you're going to go down. And wasn't it interesting to hear from Tree's reading what Elisha's response was? Uh, or no, or what Naaman's response was to Elisha. He was like, I'm mad at you because I thought that 
you know, being a prophet, that meant that you would be able to instantly render exactly what I wanted. I'm mad at you because I thought there would be like an instant gratification to, to this miracle. I, you know, you've done amazing things all over the place, including like summon bears. Second Kings is wild, y'all. Uh, but like, somehow you can't figure this out and like, you, you can hear kind of the hurt in Naaman's voice. Like, I'm so frustrated with this, but I don't want to deal with my anger, so I'm going to be mad at you. <laughs> and and uh, he even kind of like pulls a little bit of like privilege where he's like, you know, there are like, I have access to better rivers than the Jordan River. I have like really nice rivers. If, if the advice is simply to go dip in a river, like I might as well go with the deluxe option. Why would I go for kind of this like common river? Why would I, why would I seek healing when it's so basic? And I think that there's like some really interesting things that, um, arise from from this conversation because first of all we see a nate a hint of the nature of god's grace here right we see a hint of how god is saying like sometimes i'm gonna show up to you in a way that is more basic than you care to stomach <laughs> sometimes i'm gonna show up to you with solutions or answers or doorways that are not as elaborate or challenging as you would like. Like sometimes uh, I'm, I'm thinking about like the, the um, activists in the community who are like, you know, or even not, not even activists, but um, looking at um, just anyone who comes to me seeking pastoral care. I'm trying to like not be a shade fairy to activists today. So <laughs> because I'm an activist that I see a lot, but um just anyone who comes up to me like looking for marital advice or looking for anything like that. Um, <laughs> and, and a lot of times people seek an overly sophisticated solution. A lot of times people want the solution to their problems to be harder than they need to be. And this is kind of a, a counterintuitive thing because you'd think people like easy things. And and so uh, it's, it's probably... But that's not that's not what I see all the time. Like what I see all the time is that people are looking for like an overly intricate, overly sophisticated solution. So uh, like sometimes when people are um, uh, two friends are in a dispute and it's like, okay, have first of all, like before we get into this, this is literally what I said the other day, like, have you all eaten today? Have 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 you have you drank eight glasses of water today? Have you tried just like journaling a little bit about this? Like sometimes people are seeking that like an over. Sometimes people are like, yeah, but what about we if we do like the thirty steps of a healing ceremony that we do? The and it's like, yeah, I want to do all of that. Also, have you drank water today? Because a lot of the like cynicism and like biting <laughs> like like uh, uh 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 shadow side of what you're experiencing right now might be your body trying to communicate to you that its basic needs aren't being met and if you can't meet your body's basic needs it's a lot harder to handle more sophisticated things above that of course sometimes sophisticated answers are important for example reparations 
but but sometimes it's literally a glass of water. I see people weighing in more basic, but also a reminder that God's grace is always going to be bigger than the actions that we could ever take to gain it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. One of the reasons people try to avoid being prophets, people don't like your advice. Yeah, that's this is all exactly what I'm trying to get at here, where it's like, um, sometimes there are more straightforward, simple, repetitive answers, and we just are uh, so drawn towards instant gratification, especially nowadays. Oh my gosh, like our whole society is built up <laughs> to create instant gratification, least of which through our phones, which give us like dopamine hits every time that we like touch it. Like what is more instant gratification than simply touching something and then getting a dopamine hit from it, like a like or a text, like all of that is like brain chemistry stuff. And, and sometimes when God talks to you, sometimes in prayer, when God comes up with a solution, that's like, well, what if you tried doing something every day? What if you tried a small action every day? What if there was a, a what if there was a, a habit of prayer? What if there was a discipline of meeting with your small groups? What if you what if you create small rhythms of your life that can allow you to see the grace that is not rare but everywhere? Like what if what if there's a small thing? And sometimes when we hear that, it's like ah. Isn't there a pill for it? <laughs> Isn't there a magic trick to solve this? And I think that, like, God is trying to say, um, if you believe in a God of abundance, then that means that you believe in a God that you can return to regularly. We do A scarcity mindset is like, we need to get this fixed now. And an abundance mindset is that we can lean into process. We can lean into transformation we can celebrate subtle changes as they come. Like this is um, like so much of, of what we're talking about. And we see this in the chat as well. Like I'm repeatedly surprised by how much going to bed on time solves most of my problems. Most, she said most. And it's like, maybe this is why God invented sleep so that we can remember that there is a God that we need to like return to and lean on kind of what Clarence was saying, like, one of the reasons why spiritual practices is so important is because it shows us that we are accessing a help that is larger than us, and we can't necessarily create the full solution, but we can show up to the solution. We're not the Holy Spirit, but we can show up to the Holy Spirit, which makes our lives and our bodies glorious, because we are like the vessel that is able to that to come to the water to come to the river and and what is more sacred than that and so um yeah so so uh <laughs> elisha tells naaman to come to the river dip seven times and by the way who convinced naaman to dip in the river the servants the servants were the one who walked him off the ledge because naaman was like okay whatever i'm gonna leave and the servants were like, this is important. And just because it's not immediate instant gratification, and just because it's not this like romantic, intricate thing, like carry a pig up a mountain 
and then see what happens. Like, it, just because it's not extra hard, just because it's not tough mutter or like an ultra marathon doesn't mean that God's not working through it. And so, uh, so the servants are the ones who are, again, conduits of, of God's grace into the world. And so Naaman's like, okay, fine. Dip seven times, which is like a lot, by the way. Seven is, is many times. You notice after you dip seven times. Seven times is like around the time when you start to lose count if you're not like really conscious about it. Uh, maybe that's why the number seven represents completeness in the Old Testament. There are seven days. Seven consistently shows like the fullness or God's wholeness. And so we, he dips a number of times that represents wholeness. And then he comes up and he's like, oh, shoot. I have been a recipient of God's grace. I didn't notice it the first time. I didn't notice it the third time. I didn't notice it the sixth time. But I noticed the seventh time that God's grace is healing me. And so he like changes and then he responds exactly the appropriate response for when you encounter God's grace, which is completely changing your whole life. <laughs> Naaman is like, whoa, after attending to these everyday, seemingly mundane practices, I'm starting to get a, a, a divine connection, a holy resonance in me that I'm realizing is so important that everything else pales in comparison. Everything else is like so deprioritized in comparison to the grace that I just came to know in my body. That's the goal of spiritual practice, to, to eventually, with practice and consistency, to encounter a God who is moving so powerfully through your life that, that you change everything in order to follow God. You know, and I'll say this as my closing. Um, I um, was interviewed by Care 11, which is like the local news uh, local news station. Uh, this week I was interviewed by Care 11 and the, the topic what, that the reporter wanted to talk about was, you know, there's a report that says that, um, uh, uh the, for the first time ever f under fewer than 50% of America identifies as a member of, of a church, a mosque or a synagogue. What do you make of that? What do you make of that? And like, the journalist was super chill, super uh, big fan of how she conducted that. And I, th I felt like the premise or kind of the setup was kind of like positioning me to say like, this is an emergency, like panic, panic, panic. Yeah, like, what, what are we going to do? Um, because we have this godless generation that is not coming to church or even a synagogue or a mosque. Like, what are we going to do about the godlessness of our time? And... There's a couple things that I said back over the course of the interview, some of which was included in the final cut and some of which wasn't. Um, one of them was, okay, just as an aside, while the United States and Western Europe is becoming, is declining in membership to church synagogues and mosques, the rest of the world is increasingly religious. Even as like modernization happens and ed more and more global education happens, the rest of the world is becoming more religious, not less. So 
okay, let, let's try to take a global, not your uh, uh, U.S.-centric, Western-centric approach. Second of all, uh, in the New Testament, we hear about Christian communities that were able to discover liberating love and practice prophetically in their life, in their world, in their communities, even when less than 50% of their communities identified as Christian. In fact, the entirety of the New Testament, including Jesus' society, was not predominantly Christian or predominantly like membership to a church. And yet somehow they were able to stay faithful. So like, I don't think Christians should feel discouraged about like our, our society shifting because we already see in <laughs> like what society looked like when there was like five Christians meeting in a room, right? <laughs> like we, we already know what it's like when 12 people minus maybe Thomas was like already into Christ. And so, um, so like, I don't, I don't think we should be scared of that, but ultimately what I said and, and what I believe was, uh, um, in caught up in the, in the, final cut of this message was that um, I'm not discouraged from that because what is most important to me is that people are experiencing God's grace, that people are, through the act of worship, prayer, small groups, inward and outward transformation, all the things that Christians do, that people are meaningfully encountering a God who is uh, so present in our lives that sometimes we lose sight of her. Like, that is what is important to me. And what I see a lot of times when I go to churches, and I've been to a lot of churches, is that there's a lot of people in the pews, a lot of people in the, like, theater, fog, smoke, lighting show, who attend church and then have no real experience, no, no um, consequential experience in their lives, meaning that when they step out of church, they don't live any differently than before they stepped into church. And like, I don't know, like it's not so, it, it doesn't trouble me so much that people are leaving church if that's the kind of experience that they had. But what I'm keeping my eyes on, like what I want to pay attention to and grow is that people attend to a grace that in, in a way that is um, disciplined and regular and real, such that once they really encounter it, everything else in their life changes. And that's a little bit hard to imagine because it's not like you come to church once and then like, ta-da, you get it. It's like there's a certain dipping in the water. There's a return to the water that we have to that we have to continue to wash ourselves in the love of God and that's what worship and all these spiritual practices are and ultimately i believe that that if you attend to these spiritual practices with earnestness with with a heart leaning into this experience trusting that God can do something in it you will start to see that every time you wash your hands every time you take a shower every time you're before a mighty crashing waterfall, that God's grace is present in the world. Amen. Amen.